0: The 4th century doctor of the church, St. Ephraim the Syrian, wrote, quote, Mary was immaculate and remote from all stain of sin, close quote. Over 18 centuries later, Pope Pius IX declared it to be a dogma. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. While Martin Luther believed that Mary, quote, is full of grace, proclaimed to be entirely without sin, something exceedingly great, close quote, there may be no other Catholic doctrine as contentious as the Immaculate Conception, as we talk with our Protestant friends. They can't imagine, and I wonder how many Catholics can't imagine, how it could be so. This Thursday, December 8th, is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and I've asked Wyoming Catholic College theologian, Dr. Kent Lisnowski to shed a bit of light on the subject for us. Dr. Lysnowski, let me first read the definition of the Immaculate Conception from Pius IX's encyclical, Ineffabilis Deus. Quote, We declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the most blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin, is a doctrine revealed by God and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. Close quote. It seems to me we have a doctrine with a big qualifier. Uh, let's begin with the doctrine itself. What is the doctrine? Well, <clears throat> Mary
1: has a kind of special moment of creation. Uh, And what we're talking about here is a preservative grace given to her, which is saving her from dealing with some of the consequences of the fall. So you and I, when we came into this world, had all of the disorders and rambunctiousness of concupiscence, the passions pushing us over much toward uh, what's not good for us, towards what's sin, uh, the kind of noise of a disordered soul. That was, that was something that's given uh, to all humans except for Mary. She's saved from being in that state uh, by a special preservative grace on account of what Jesus would do for all of humanity. Um, so that gift given to her of being given this sort of peace and harmony of soul um, from the very moment of her first conception is glorious, wondrous moment in salvation history. Mm-hmm.
0: This is very qualified. The encyclical talks about a singular privilege granted by God in view of the merits of Christ. What, what does that mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, so one of the concerns when thinking about uh, this doctrine is whether or not Mary, if she is immaculately conceived, even needs salvation. Some of the Dominicans in the 13th century thought that This was a good reason to deny the doctrine, right? That it would mean that Jesus didn't need to save Mary. So what we're saying here with this doctrine is that God gave this special manner of creation to Mary on account of what Jesus would do. So through and by Jesus's merits, Mary is given this grace. Now, of course, God being outside of time can apply this treasury of merit that Jesus would win in time to anyone uh, he sees fit at any moment for us it seems like it's a timeline that you can't really go back and forth on but for god it's all one great moment present to
0: him forever eternally well and there will be a time when we are saved in a final way from the from the results of original sin you know when we go to be with god when we are glorified we will have that kind of purity of soul she just got it earlier? Is that what we're saying? In one sense, yes, and in one sense, no. So
1: you and I have the difficulty of struggling against concupiscence from which we will eventually be saved in the time of the resurrection and where, uh, as C.S. Lewis puts it in his reflections on, on heaven, everything we want is allowed, right? So we will never have disordered desires at all. Mary, however, never had to be saved from the position of having sinned like you and I are, right? She didn't have to deal with the same type of uh, disorderliness in her soul, nor did she have to repent, as you and I do, of the sins that we have and be saved from them. So she was saved, but she was saved by an act of preservation, whereas you and I are saved by an act of more strict redemption from the sin.
0: hmm But it is all, in addition, it is all because of the work of Christ. Absolutely.
1: Without Christ, uh, we could not have an Immaculately Conceived Mary. It would make no
0: sense, actually. Now, Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, said this this was the first use of uh, the Pope speaking ex cathedra, infallibly, is that correct?
1: this doctrine of speaking infallibly had been explicitly explicitly stated in the first vatican council which actually happens um, just after this so the yeah you might say this is the first use of something that's expressed in a council officially a little bit later yeah it's a it's a
0: kind of monumental moment in history well anyway he, he declared this dogma but there was a long history behind it. He didn't make it out of whole cloth, as uh, I think sometimes he's accused of doing. Sure, no, not by
1: any means. Uh, this doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is as old as Christianity. Uh, you know, you have the witness uh, witnesses of the non biblical early second century um, gospel accounts, uh, Gospel of James, uh of James which gives accounts about Mary's uh, conception and birth. We have Irenaeus, we have uh, Justin Martyr, we have Cyril of Jerusalem, we have Ephraim the Syrian, all attesting in the patristic age to the immaculate um, nature of Mary, her freedom from sin. And then the patristic era goes on in beautiful artistic way, describing Mary as the ark, of the covenant, right? The the temple, the new Eve, all of these phrases that suggest, even without saying exactly, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. By the time you get to the 7th and 8th century, you have uh, the feast being celebrated in the East, and then it moves to the West and becomes, by the medieval era, a holy day of obligation in the West, and it's brought to England in the 11th century. So. Long history there. Trent affirms this doctrine and um, beyond then uh, it keeps getting more and more attention until finally in the 19th century uh, the Pope decided to, to survey the bishops to see what the practices of the people were. And, and there had been many folks clamoring for this doctrine to be defined and it's not as if the Pope decided to do this of his own volition. It's so that he was responding to the faithful. And so, the bishops uh, replied to his letter of 1849 saying, the faithful deeply
0: desired this doctrine to be defined. And so, uh, he did. The Catechism uh, of the Catholic Church tells us, what the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ, and what it teaches about Mary illumines, in turn, its faith in Christ. How does that apply to the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception?
1: Well, the Christ is the new Adam. He is the one who recapitulates history, right? He's the he's the man who comes and destroys, finally, the power of sin over all. Well, that's nice, uh, and it's wonderful, and it's true, but it seems in some way to leave out half of humanity. Where's the woman in all this? So the Immaculate Conception is God's beautiful and providential way of making sure that Femininity is incorporated into salvation history, even at its pinnacle. Just as man and woman were involved in the fall, right? Uh, Eve takes the apple and Adam, of course, eats it, uh, despite knowing better. Here in the recapitulation of man's history, we have a woman receiving the good news of salvation from, from the angel Gabriel. And and bringing forth fruitfulness of salvation rather than uh, the fruit of sin and death. So the Immaculate Conception is what allows Mary to be that perfect participant in salvation history. Why is that? Well, think of it this way. If, If you're going to bring forward your greatest prize, the greatest treasure you have, what are you going to put it in? You're going to put it in your best container, right? You're going to put it in your best vase, right? The, the best wine goes in the, in the golden goblet, right? And, and so it is in salvation history, right? The Jews had their, the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the holiest objects they knew, right? The temple contained the, the Ark as well. And Noah's Ark contained all of mankind toward a new salvation. So Mary is this new and greatest vessel, right, which carries forth our salvation to us. And so she must be utterly pure, Utterly perfect,
0: as perfect as a human could be. How do we talk with inquiring non-Christian friends about this doctrine? And this is a real sticker. Yeah, it
1: sure is. And I think I think what something I said a moment ago about the fittingness of the vessel for what it contains is a nice way of approaching the question, right? It just seems because what you can't do is say, well, it, it has to be this way, right? There's no other way God could have done this. I think even the church has said. What we have here is an issue of something God could do, that was fitting to do, and he has done. And so you focus on, well, if Christ is the most wonderful and worthy good that could have ever happened in the universe, well, then you'd want to bring him into the universe in uh, the most fitting container. And that would be an utterly pure vessel of his his mother. Another way of looking at this is through scripture, right? Protestants object to this doctrine by saying it's non-scriptural. And I think the Immaculate Conception of Mary is possibly one of the most deeply scriptural doctrines you could think of, because as I've said before, there's so many Old Testament analogs, right, to to who Mary is and what she is, right, with the Ark of the Covenant, the Tent of Meeting, the Temple, and uh, Noah's Ark, all being things made by God. I think that's a really important piece of it, right, that with, the, with the, Noah's Ark, the instructions were given by God for making it, right? This is not something man made by himself through his own faulty ideas. That's the Tower of Babel, right? The Ark is something God told us how to make. Likewise, in Exodus, where do we get the directions for how to build the Ark of the Covenant? From God, right? Like, so you see that this image of God designing something and making it to hold the holy things uh, and then bringing it forward into the world, That's an Old Testament trope, uh, a sort of small s sacrament, a sign,
0: that's preparing for its fruition in Mary. And that's a great thought to have as we head from the Feast of the Immaculate Conception to the Feast of the Nativity. During his regular audience of June 26, 1996, Pope St. John Paul II said, quote, The special privilege granted by God to her who is all-holy leads us to admire the marvels accomplished by grace in her life. It also reminds us that Mary belonged always and completely to the Lord, that no imperfection harmed her perfect harmony with God. Her earthly life was therefore marked by a constant sublime growth in faith, hope, and charity. For believers, Mary is thus the radiant sign of divine mercy and the sure guide to the loftiest heights of holiness and gospel perfection. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz wishing you a blessed feast of the Immaculate Conception.